Welcome to Cleaning and Gathering. My name is Eric Heimlich and I'm your host. And it's been a little while since I've been here with you, but there's been a good reason. We have been preparing for the Nehemiah Discipleship Program Experience here at Victory Acres, and it has been a very busy time. This past Sunday, we said goodbye to all of the participants, and it is over for this year. We do have the summer training program that will be coming up in July, but uh, that is a a much uh, lower bar. During the time here, we had, uh, I think, over 70 people here on farm uh, staying that night, and uh, I think we had uh, over 100 in some of our services. It was a uh, it was a great time, and uh, it was a, a wonderful uh, opportunity to be together. And I just wanted to share a little bit from that experience, and just uh, also what's going on here in our lives right now. This past Thursday, June the first, the participants began to arrive from two to four. We uh, had them register and set them up with room assignments. Some of the young people. Uh, chose to uh, camp out, and so we had a, a whole area for, for camping for the guys and uh, made that option available for the girls as well in, uh, in a separate area. And uh, it, it's just such a great thing to, uh, to see just the resilience of these young people, the willingness to, uh, to do hard things. And uh, really, as they were applying, the, the number one question that we were endeavoring to to really discern was, is this someone who really wants to follow Jesus? Uh, because that's really what we want. We want disciples and people who are serious about serving God and bringing together a group of young people. And so uh, even in advertising or trying to uh, get the word out about this event, we try to communicate. This is a, a boot camp, not a youth camp. There's certainly a place for, uh, for youth camps. We thank God for them, appreciate them. Uh, but this is a boot camp. And so uh, there's, a, there's a different level here in terms of the challenges that they face. And uh, they face that pretty much right up front with, uh, with where they're staying. The accommodations, uh, while they are adequate, are less than ideal, I guess you would say. And so we had an introductory meeting right after the room assignment and registration time where we went over the rules, talked about uh, details for the week, and uh, scheduling, answered questions, and then uh, after that, we had supper, and during supper, I met with the team leaders. This is the first year that we added a, another layer of leadership to NDP, and it was just a huge success. We had four specialists, people who had been through our summer training program and were older leaders who had experience with NDP at another level, so they were my lieutenants during the time. And so Kaylin and Rebecca, my daughters, uh, were two of those. And then uh, Kristen and Mary Branch served as specialists this year as well. And so they were free to float. They were not on teams. And so they were able to uh, to fill in uh, places that needed to be filled in and take care of things that uh, normally I would go running off to take care of. But uh, this year we had uh, four specialists. And then we also had six captains, and our captains were uh, handpicked, people who had been uh, involved with the program before or had been just chosen because of their, uh, their life experience. And so in, in praying about who to have as our captains for our teams, uh, we just really felt like that God helped us with that. 
And so we met with the the team leaders and the specialists uh, during uh, during supper and had our team leader meeting, our first team leader meeting. And then uh, we had worship, and that first night, Brother Jim Stroop spoke, and just a powerful, powerful story uh, that he uh, he shared with us, illustrating just the uh, the contrast between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And uh, it was uh, it was an amazing time. God really helped him to be able to paint that picture on our minds. We we met outside in the pavilion, the open air pavilion and a tent. So we had a tent set up that was kind of our main dining area. And then um, we would uh, use that as overflow for the pavilion. And so that evening we had uh, had service there and we just had great weather throughout the entire event. It was incredibly hot, but it was, uh, it was beautiful. And uh, we're thankful for the good weather that we had. And after service then, we had a time of, uh, of Afterglow with team building games. Uh, Sister Julia Thomas from uh, Salem, Illinois helped us with that, and she just did a great job. And then uh, it was uh, to our rooms and lights out, and everyone was there, hopefully, pretty close to 1030. Friday morning, up at 6 o'clock, and we had our uh, specialists and drill sergeants that were enforcing the rising time. They had half an hour to get ready and complete their checklist assignment for the room, get that uh, all completed and ready for inspection. And then they had uh, half an hour uh, that was free for their personal devotional time before heading to breakfasts at seven o'clock. At 7.30, we had the team leader meeting and it was uh, it was great to be together with them again. We held that here at our house and uh, it was uh, just a, a special time where we went over some, some details for the day and uh, made our plan. And this year, pretty much everything was communicated through the team leaders. And so what we tried to do was to inform them well, and then they were responsible for communicating uh, all those details to their team. And so uh, there was a uh, kind of a, you know, a chain there, but uh, them being able to understand uh, what their assignments were uh, helped us to keep from having to explain that to, you know, 50 people all at once. And then uh, after that, uh, we had our very first training session. And this year, we focused in on prayer in that time, and just talking about the power of prayer and uh, what God does through prayer. Then our morning work time, from 9 to noon, uh, we had uh, six different projects that we were working on. And there was uh, just a great spirit there, a desire to really just jump in and make things happen. Our young people did a, an amazing job. Uh, on a variety of different assignments. And then lunch after that, uh, we had our skills training time, our life skills training. We had uh, a lot of different skilled mentors coming and teaching in a variety of different areas, uh, everything from uh, welding to uh, mastering locks, culinary arts, graphics and design and marketing. There was a, a class on uh, customer service and barista training, so some basics on um, making different specialty drinks, but really uh, more of a focus on customer service and principles of customer service. There was just a, a variety of different opportunities for the young people to be involved in. And so these were things that they had signed up for or said, this is something I'm interested in ahead of time. There was also basic electronics and that was uh, exciting as well. 
Um, and so th- there's just a lot of things that they could be involved in. And the idea is that we really want to help young people put tools in their toolbox. The philosophy behind the Nehemiah Discipleship Program is that we are all called. The, the calling of God, we believe, is a, a call to be involved with Him in mission. When you look at Scripture, it says whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we're to do all to the glory of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says that, that he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And who is Paul talking to? He's just talking to regular Christians in this church in Corinth. He said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. And then he goes on to say he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. To recognize that whether you're driving a trash truck, whether you're working bagging groceries at Kroger, whether you are a school teacher, whether you are a mom, pastor of a church, whatever you're doing, you are a minister of God's reconciliation in that place. And I really think that paradigm, if, if we could get young people today to really understand, it's not a matter, am I called to these two or three specialized things that we call ministry? I am called. I am a minister of God's reconciliation in the world where I am right now. That's not a question. You know, am I called or am I not called? I am called. I am called to be a minister of God's reconciliation in the world. And so how does God want that to play out? What is it that I'm supposed to specifically do and where? Those are things that he's going to lead me into. But right now, what I need to be doing is putting tools in my toolbox and developing the skills that I have as a minister of God's reconciliation. And so throughout the entire time, we had um, lots of uh, missional input uh, and opportunities that were communicated and presented in terms of the need that's there in in world missions, uh, all the way from our, our prayer time during the morning where I introduced to them Operation World and, and praying for the nations and the opportunities uh, to reach people and unreached people groups. All the way to the end, we, we had an emphasis, a missional emphasis that we shared through the entire time. But we want to make sure that the young people are seeing that ministry is life. And that we are all called to be ministers of God's reconciliation. So after our... Uh, afternoon life skills training time. And then we uh, went to scripture engagement. And so each of the uh, two days, Friday and Saturday, we, we share different scripture engagement techniques. These are available if you want to look at them, biblegateway.org online. Uh, there's a whole area there of scripture engagement. And the idea behind it is that we want to be developing young people who are digging deeply into scripture that are really meditating on scripture that are chewing on it and that are allowing God's word to form their lives uh, not just uh, you know read read your bible pray every day and you'll grow 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 you know as we sing the song uh, as little kids but that it would not just be like water passing through a pipe, as George Mueller would say, but that it would really be something that each and every day we are making our soul happy in the Lord by meditating in his word, by spending time in his word. And so there were five different uh, scripture engagement techniques and, and tools that we shared with them. 
during that time, went over that, and then we broke up into teams, and then those teams broke up individually to actually do this. And so we dedicated an hour and a half each day to scripture engagement uh, because we're serious about getting into God's word and really focusing on that. And our scripture engagement passage this week was Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 is just so rich and full, but the word for the week, uh, I was uh, inspired by our friends at Salem, Illinois that had a, a gathering a few years ago, a retreat, and they had a word for the weekend, and that was dwell. And I really felt like that the word for us this weekend was unite. Ephesians 4 has just so much to say about unity and Christian unity. And you know, we live in such a divided world today. There are so many people that are polarized about so many different issues. You know, where do you stand on this? Where do you stand on that? And, and people that are divided on so many levels. And so what is it that unites us? And how can we have real Christian unity? And not just this ecumenical mumbo jumbo where we all just, you know, check our beliefs at the door or pretend like we don't believe anything and just hold hands and sing Kumbaya or some other song we can agree on. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about holding to what we, what we believe is true and yet at the same time recognizing that there is a unity in Christ, in His Spirit that, that unites all true believers throughout the church and that that unity that is present among his people is real. And so we were just uh, focused in on Ephesians chapter 4 this, this weekend. It was just a rich time in our scripture engagement time. And so then after that, we gave them time to get cleaned up and uh, be able to, uh, to shower, change clothes, do whatever they needed to do. And we had supper then at 530 and uh, clean up after that, and then worship again at 7. And on Friday evening, we were, we were uh, blessed to hear from Dr. Steve Gibson. Uh, he just got back from a number of different places, Tanzania, Nepal. Um, there were uh, several other countries that uh, he had traveled to that he shared stories from, and just shared an amazing message with us about uh, really exalting God through adversity. It was, uh, it was a beautiful time. And uh, after that, we had another time of Afterglow, and then Saturday again, Rise and Shine at 6 o'clock. Then uh, after that, we had uh, time for personal devotions, breakfast again, team leader meeting. That morning, uh, Dr. Gibson shared in the training session on missions and the missional opportunities that are around the world. Lots of stories, and it was just, uh, it was great. There was, uh, there was a lot there. He also shared with us. Uh, some of the Shepherd's Global Classroom materials that uh, we're using around the world with evangelistic faith missions and others are using to be able to train leaders to be able to share biblical truth. Just great stuff. Then we had uh, another three-hour work time. In the morning, they knocked out a number of projects. It was just amazing to see. Uh, in the afternoon, we had the uh, life skills training time again, and we had another round of opportunities for them to participate in and be part of with that scripture engagement again. And then another time of worship, brother Jim Stroop was with us again and shared another just really riveting story, taking the whole armor of God and uh, just the, the way in which uh, the warfare that we're in really uh, requires that we keep the whole armor. 
and how that God is continuing to to help us even in the middle of difficult and trying circumstances. It was it was a wonderful time. After that, we had a a time of uh, afterglow again, and uh, there was just uh, so much fun that the youth had uh, during that time with more games and uh, team games. And then on Sunday, uh, we had uh, breakfast in the morning at eight o'clock, a little later opportunity to sleep in and and then um, be able to uh, to get up, spend time with God. And then we had our morning service that began at 10 o'clock. We had lunch together after that. And then we finished with a prayer walk around the farm. And everybody who wanted to join us could uh, go to the various areas where the youth were working that week. And then we had different people pray in those different locations. And it was just a beautiful time of fellowship as we would walk along and then stop in different locations and just reflect on what God was doing in that place and through the work. And uh, then uh, as we would walk on to the next place, it was just it was just such a fun time, but also a special time, a sacred time. And so we finished up uh, here at our house. That was the last stop. And uh, just uh, thanked God for, for what he's done through this weekend. And uh, then uh, the Nehemiah Discipleship Program uh, concluded. We, we just had some, some great fellowship after that as we were taking care of the things that needed to be taken care of uh, right away and uh, said our goodbyes and uh, headed our different directions uh, that afternoon. But God was with us uh, the entire time, and it was, uh, it was a wonderful time. And just so thankful for the way in which God used that time, the way that uh, different stories have, have come back about how God is, is using it in the lives of the young people who were here. One of the participants was talking with some of his cousins and he was showing some of the photos and he said, these are my friends. And his cousins were amazed and asked how he knew the people uh, in the, in the picture. And he said, I, I made new friends. And uh, his dad wrote, what a simple illustration of how accepting and loving that the teenagers were that one of the youngest participants, he was only 13 felt included and valued by everyone. And, you know, that's one of the things that uh, I just think is so special Another young person, when asked about, you know, what uh, what he thought about it and how he would describe it, he said, uh, "It's real," and I I really I love that word. I love that description. It was a time of authenticity. It was a time where young people that may have come in feeling estranged and separated and not really sure where they stood, were united together with other young people in the common cause of Christ and were able to let their guard down. They were able to be real. They were able to share together. The opportunity to really build spiritual friendships is just woven throughout all of our time together here. It's a, it's, so incredible. You know, one of the things that, that has come out of our NDP tribe, our NDP community over the years past is they, they put together a, a Marco Polo group. And again, it's just a social media tool. But uh, this group of 
30 some young people that ask questions that talk about things throughout the year, not all the time, but, uh, fairly regularly. I listen to some of those conversations. Don't necessarily, uh, jump in on it. Uh, but, uh, hearing the, the, the questions and the way in which God is continuing to use the relationships that start in a place like this to continue to develop these connections. It's just so exciting to me. I don't know where it'll all go. I'm not sure what God will do with all of it. But the connection that is established in a time like this, in a place like this, uh, is enduring. And I've watched that over these past four years. You know, the, the Nehemiah Discipleship Program experience really is part of a larger training and discipleship effort that we hope will continue to develop a pipeline for young people to be involved in, to participate in, to find a place in ministry that is different than just maybe the traditional pathways to ministry. You know, there there are a lot of young people that will go to college and, and get a degree, and that's the way that they'll enter into some sort of ministry. But there are a lot of there are a lot of young people that college may or may not be the pathway for them. There are a lot of people that are not necessarily cut out for college or that would be successful in a college setting that could use other skills that would be a great blessing in the kingdom, like welding or turning logs into lumber or other sorts of just hands-on physical activity. And increasingly, you know, there are lots of closed countries that you couldn't go into with just a ministry degree and say, here, I'm, I'm here to uh, be a missionary. They're closed to missions work as it's uh, traditionally known. You, you can't get in. There's no visa for that. But you go in with really any professional ability and uh, the door's wide open. If you're here to help in the area of you know electrical engineering or design or building there's there's opportunities for you and so really continuing to develop young people who see the opportunity to be able to use the tools in their toolbox for kingdom work is something that we want to continue to develop we live in a world where there are 3 billion people who will live and die right now and at the current rate of missions will never once encounter a Christian. They'll never once hear the gospel message. They'll never once have an opportunity to go to a church. They don't live in a place where a a church is available. You know, and that should break all of our hearts. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to move to the 1040 window and, and to necessarily do that work, but there's an opportunity there that I want to make sure that we're presenting to our young people and helping them to see the connection between how they could make an impact and the way in which uh, God might want to use them in a special way to be involved in his kingdom mission in a global way. And so we're praying that God will use the Nehemiah Discipleship Program in ways far beyond just what happened this weekend. And I'm thankful for the young people who participated thankful for the opportunities that we had to be able to speak truth into their lives. On Sunday, as I shared 
in the uh, Sunday morning message from Ephesians chapter 4 on Christian unity. I felt like God helped me to be able to to communicate um, some truth. One of the things that stuck out to me is that really following Jesus in this way is not just a, a private thing. It's personal, but it's not private. That, as John Wesley said, Christianity knows nothing of a solitary religion. And that God has a design for us together as the church to impact the world. And a lot of times, you know, we, we talk about the relationship that we have with God and the Christian life as if it was an individual thing. But in Ephesians chapter 4, it's plural. I beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. That's plural. And so how are we to understand this idea of corporate calling that God is calling all of us together then in humility and in patience and in gentleness that we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It's a, it's a challenging thing. Relationships are messy. Trying to love people, walk the road together with people in any place. I don't care where you go. It's a challenge. And I used to think that, uh, you know, there were just kind of these uh, little hiccups along the way, but uh, by and large, life was full of peace, love, joy, and harmony. And, you know, every once in a while you'd have some difficulties, but for the most part, that was an aberration. And the the regular flow of things was uh, nice getting together and uh, everybody getting along. And the longer I've lived, the more I've come to see that it's it's actually just the opposite. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. <laughs> Psalms 133.1 is not the normal course of events. And the reason is that we're all selfish. We want our own way. And even in the church, you know, we, we bring our consumeristic mentality to it. It's your way the right way at Burger King now. And we want church served up the way we want it. And whether it's the cowboy church or the biker church or whether it's... Uh, you know, the church that serves my particular kind of music the way that I like it or does things the particular way that I think it should be done. It's all about me. It's all about what I want rather than it really being all about Jesus. And so what do we do? How do we call people to deny themselves, take up the cross and follow him and, and truly die to themselves and be willing to live for Jesus when the way in which we're marketing it constantly is this dispenser of religious goods and services where you get it the way you want it and you can have it on a silver platter, that's church. And Christian unity is everybody getting together in a way, hopefully, that uh, is like other people who want it just that way too. And so you get all these selfish people together and then uh, hope that you're not going to have a problem. <laughs> it just doesn't work. It reminds me of the story that G.K. Chesterton tells of all the people that were united together in the effort to tear down the lamppost, except they were united for different reasons. You know, one man wanted to tear it down because he was a pickpocket and it would be easier if there was no light. Another man wanted to scrap the metal. Another man wanted to convert from uh, the old gas lamps to new electric lamps and wanted to make a sale. And different people had different reasons, but, but they were all united in their common cause of tearing down the lamppost until the lamppost was torn down and then their unity was gone because the reason that they had come together uh, was, was no longer unifying them. 
And if we're not careful, that's, that's the kind of unity we end up with. With the church, what brings us together? Well, a lot of dif- different and disparate reasons. But at the heart of it all is, I want what I want, and hopefully the church will help me get it. But if we're really united in the cross, if our unity is in Christ, and that's what brings us together, that's really the only recipe for enduring unity that we have to be united in him, that he is the one that is the head and the underneath him, that we grow up in him in all things, as it says later, until we all come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, to the unity of the faith. And and he's the example. This mind, let it be in us that was also in Christ Jesus. And so I've been praying that God would continue to help me and together that he would help us in this place where we are right now to continue to live that out. And that's challenging. It's challenging everywhere. But I believe it is, it is the place that, that God dwells, as Psalms 133 says. I think one of the challenges to it is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about in Life Together. He talks about the wish dream. He says, a serious Christian set down for the first time in Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and try to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate, with ourselves. By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in a dream world. He does not abandon us to those rapturous experiences and lofty moods that come over us like a dream. God is not just the God of emotions, but God of truth. And only that fellowship which faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. The sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. A community which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis, which insists keeping its illusion when it should be shattered, permanently loses in that moment the promise of Christian community. Sooner or later, it will collapse. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of community more than Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Wow. He goes on to say, because God has already laid the only foundation of our fellowship, because God has bound us together in one body with other Christians in Christ Jesus, long before we entered into community life with them, we enter into that common life, not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. We thank God for what he has done for us. We thank God for giving us brethren who live by his call, by his forgiveness and his promise. And we do not complain of what God does not give us. We rather thank God for what he does give us daily. 
in the Christian community thankfulness is just what it is anywhere else in the Christian life. Only those who give thanks for little things receive the big things, Bonhoeffer says. We prevent God from giving us the great spiritual gifts he has in store for us because we do not give thanks for the daily gifts. If we do not give thanks daily for Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even where there is no great experience or discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty, if on the contrary we only keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us all in Jesus Christ. The more thankfully we daily receive what is given to us, the more surely and steadily will fellowship increase and grow from day to day as God pleases. Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. And the more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone, the more serenely shall we think of our fellowship and pray and hope for it. Wow. So that was our focus this past week. Unity, Ephesians 4, discipleship, following Christ as grateful recipients of this reality of Christian community that he's given us. I'm thankful that I get to be part of it. I'm thankful for what God's doing here. And I'm thankful for the ways in which he's continuing to mold us and shape us into the image of his son. For gleaning and gathering, God bless.